out to a lot of places, and we got to make sure that it's prayed over. All right. We ready? Lord, we just thank you for the word tonight as we're looking at end-time prophecy. We're looking at Revelation chapter 4 and tonight specifically with Daniel's writings. And Lord, we just thank you for your faithfulness. And Lord, as we come to you in Jesus' name and through his blood, Lord, we ask you tonight that the Holy Spirit will move right now upon every person that's going to be hearing this in any way, whether it's live or through a recording, a podcast, or they're watching a video, they're driving down the road, wherever they're at. Father, let your Holy Spirit move upon every one of us and help us by the Holy Spirit to be good, fertile soil of hearts and minds that we will have eyes and ears of the Spirit. That because the Holy Spirit touches our eyes, we're able to see things in the word that we, maybe we couldn't before. The Holy, the Holy Spirit gives us ears to hear. That our minds are able to comprehend and understand things that in the natural, maybe we would have had a hard time. But yet the Holy Spirit helps us to do so. We understand it. Lord, grant us understanding. Let your Holy Spirit just captivate us and lock us in tonight that every one of us can give you our best ear our full attention our focus that we will be be able to get everything out of this that we need tonight lord we thank you for it let the word of god go out as you speak through me everything that needs to be spoken as living seeds of truth that go out into good soil of hearts and minds and lives and families that are prepared even right now by the holy spirit but those seed will land in good soil and that your holy spirit like rain would just saturate that seed and and cause it to take root grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until jesus comes let the winds of your spirit lord carry this seed out among the nations of the earth that it will go forth and we stand on the promise your word will not return void, but it will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. That, Lord, it's going to get where it's supposed to get. It's going to accomplish what it's supposed to accomplish. Lord, let there be like a washing of the water of the word of God, a purifying of a bride. Let there be a bright light of truth that shines forth. It will dispel the darkness and the lies and the deception of the enemy and bring revelation in truth. Lord, let there be an anointing on the word tonight as it goes forth, that it will be empowered. And Lord, we submit everything unto you, and we know the birds of the air try to steal the seed. So Lord, we take authority as a church, and we bind in Jesus' name everything that would try to hinder, distract, oppress, resist this word from getting where it's supposed to be, accomplishing what it's supposed to do. In any way, we command it to be bound in the name of Jesus and back off right now. Lord, let your angels just clear all that away. Lord, that you would take care of any warfare. Lord, let this go out because your people need to understand end time prophecy. So, Lord, we thank you for it as we enter into this time. We expect it. We believe as two agree on earth is touching anything that is done. And we thank you, Lord, for your word. Where would we be without the word of God? Lord, we love your word and we cherish it. And we thank you for your faithfulness. And we thank you, Lord, for giving us your precious Holy Spirit to live in us and lead us and guide us into all righteousness and truth and to help us understand the word. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so, you know, hopefully everybody can get the notes. And I, I realize that some people may be hearing this live, haven't got the notes right now, but the notes will be available to everyone. But we're looking at, at first, this diagram here 
um, where there's a statue, okay, and Daniel's statue, and as you see this, there's the head of gold, there's the shoulders and arms of silver, then you have the loin area of bronze, and then the legs of iron, and it carries down into the ten toes, which are mixed with iron and clay. And it coincides with the various animals that Daniel saw, which we're going to read all this, so it will make sense tonight as we look through it. But you have the head of gold is the same thing as the lion with the eagle's wings because Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, is represented in that head of gold. And you had the lion. It was like the king of the beast and the eagle, like the, the king of the birds of the air, so to speak. Um, and then you had the next is the arms of silver. And this speaks here of the Medo-Persian Empire. They were huge. Um, they, you know, maybe they didn't have the best uh, training or whatever, but because of their great number, that's why they're represented here as a bear. A bear may fight clumsy and awkward, but a bear is so big and strong, you see. And that was the Medo-Persian Empire. It was a huge army. And you see that there. That's why there's two arms. And the bear is raised up on one side with three ribs because the Persians became more powerful than the Medes. And the three ribs in his mouth are Lydia, Egypt, and Babylon, the three main world uh, powers of that time that they conquered. And then you have them also represented as that ram. There were two horns. And in the Bible, is it okay that we just go through and mention periodically symbolism? But horns in the Bible always speak of power. Remember that. Uh, that's why David talked about you exalt my horn. But anyway, the ram had one horn that was raised up higher than the other, like the bear. Because again, the Persians became greater than the Medes. And then the next uh, kingdom to come to power was Greece. And it was the loins of bronze and Greece had some kind of an ability more than any other empire. Greece had the ability of like a reproductiveness. They were able to reproduce their culture in other cultures more so than any other empire up until this time. And that may be why the Lord, the Lord chose to reveal them in that loin area. But anyway, it was the loin of bronze. And Alexander the Great... It was a swift thing. You see him revealed here as a leopard with wings. What in the world can be quicker than a leopard with wings, right? And so he conquered the world swiftly. And, of course, he was seen here also as that shaggy he-goat. And it had a, a, a really pronounced horn, which was him. But that goat would ram up against other nations. And that's the nation of Greece, and then after Greece came Rome. Rome, interestingly enough, was seen as a strange beast that was fierce, but it wasn't something that we could relate to. When Daniel saw it, he didn't say, hey, it looks like some kind of a bear or some kind of a lion or cheetah or something like that. He said it was just a ferocious beast with like iron teeth that crushed everything in its path. And it really perplexed him, but it was some kind of a beast that was scary. Maybe in his vision, it was something like we would say would be more like a dinosaur type of beast. I don't know, but he was not familiar with it, but it was ferocious. And he saw that and he pondered on it. 
that was the legs of iron and those that know bible history and all that you've studied this and so you're familiar with this but rome had two legs and that's why they have the two legs of iron you have the western part of rome which is modern day europe okay but you also had the eastern branch of rome which was centered in asia minor that was where all those churches were like ephesus that was the capital area of the eastern branch of rome okay that's where paul went up into great revivals great church planting took place but rome had two distinct legs if you will the western and the eastern branch so um anyway we'll look through this and what's really interesting to me is that and i'll get into this next week i'm just going to mention it in passing but the church is a mystery see the church was not revealed to daniel it's interesting to me that daniel saw those legs of iron all the way down into iron toes there was no break to him that it just flowed right into and the toes represent the tribulation time the end times the the last days and so it was here's what the way daniel would have seen it to him he was what was revealed to him was about the nation of israel and end time prophecy and isn't it interesting that once 70 a.d happened and the temple was destroyed the jews were dispersed isn't it interesting that it's like end time prophecy was put on pause but once israel became a nation in 1948 things have been rapidly moving into end time prophecy you see that is what daniel he saw up until jesus came died the messiah was cut off the temple and all that was destroyed the jews were dispersed he saw up until that time frame and then he simply saw the last days with israel but he didn't see the 2000 year church period it was as though regarding daniel's vision as though you're looking at end time prophecy like you're watching a dvd and all of a sudden you just pause it and then there's this mystery of the church that wasn't revealed to daniel a mystery that the messiah that the gospel would go out into the nations and there would be this church that would emerge of one new man of jew and gentile in christ and daniel did not see this it was a mystery and next week i'll talk about mysteries because there's various have you ever noticed when you read the new testament that paul said behold i, I tell you a mystery you know why he said that because if you really understand that paul studied um, the Tanakh, the Torah, the, uh, the Old Testament, and, and Daniel's. He was saying this was not really openly revealed. This is a mystery. And so the church is a mystery to Daniel. But once we got on the end of the church age, and that, that came to a closure, it's like you unpause that DVD, end time prophecy starts happening again, and Daniel saw that because it pertains to Israel you see and the messiah would come to the land of israel and set up his throne on uh, his father david's throne 
and that is the ten toes. So do you see how the legs of iron go straight into the toes? Daniel saw no break. But when you get down Rome, down to the ankle area, it's like pushing pause. But then you go 2,000 years later, unpause it, and it's that Antichrist kingdom with the ten toes, you see. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? So as I read through this, hopefully this will make sense tonight. I know it's a little bit deeper concept, but uh, remember, guys, if you have questions, ask me, and I'll, I'll do my best to answer them. All right, but here's the thing about end-time prophecy, because I've been trying to, to say a few little things at the beginning to help people understand how to study the Bible. Regarding end-time prophecy, I am not one of those that is real emphatic about every little thing. Here's how end-time prophecy was revealed. Paul said in regards to prophecy in general, he said we look through a glass dimly, right? So the way God gave it to us is like this. If you and I were out in the woods or something and we were digging and we dug up some kind of a human skeleton, you know, we could take that to the police and they have forensics that they can look at that skeleton now and they can tell you if it was a male or a female, they can tell you the ethnicity, they could tell you obviously the height and, and presumably the weight and they can give you real general things about the skeleton, but they don't know the hair color necessarily, they don't know the eye color, they don't know the details, they obviously don't know if their uh, flesh, if they had distinguishing marks like scars and things like that. They wouldn't have necessarily known if the person kind of walked a certain way. There's details about that individual that they're not going to be able to know just based on a skeleton. But yet, you know, they can get a pretty good idea from the skeleton, you see. That's the way God has given us end-time prophecy. In some ways, it can be very specific but in other ways, we're just going to have to see as we get closer and it becomes more clear every little detail. So I'm not one of those. I'll tell you just straight up, if the Bible does not specifically say something, I'll tell you it doesn't specifically say it. And where people you know, miss it many times is because they get real emphatic about something that the Bible's not emphatic about. Does that make sense? All right, so I'm going to give you tonight kind of the general look overall of what Daniel saw. But here's some things. Israel is revealed in Scripture in three major ways here. Number one, they're revealed as a vine, a grapevine. And when God speaks of Israel as a grapevine, he's dealing with Israel as like spiritual fruitfulness. The second way that Israel is revealed is as a fig tree. When, it, when God speaks of Israel as a fig tree, he's dealing with Israel as a nation. Like right now, the nation of Israel, which is very secular in many ways, but the nation of Israel is God's fig tree. The third way that God speaks of Israel is the olive tree. And as I have explained, and we'll probably see some of this tonight, the olive tree is God's family tree. Remember that in the menorah. 
So unbelieving Jews have been broken off branches that were replaced with believing Gentiles, but it is Jews and Gentiles in Christ Jesus brought together in that olive tree that is God's family tree. Does that make sense? So you have the vine, you have the fig tree, and you have the olive tree. So keep in mind that we have to look at the fig tree in regards to end time prophecy if you want to understand what god's doing you're going to have to learn to keep your eye on israel because israel is very connected to end time prophecy all right so let me read a couple things all this is in your notes but follow along i'm reading matthew chapter 21 starting with verse 18 very familiar passage it says, now in the morning when Jesus was returning to the city, he, came, he became hungry. And seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves. Now, somebody that's a casual reader of the Bible that really doesn't understand the deep things is going to think that Jesus is overreacting here. <laughs> They think, man, he was really hungry and he really got upset at that tree, right? You know, he upset enough to curse the tree. But you have to understand that it represented the nation of Israel, not bearing fruitfulness, you see. So he went to the, the fig tree. There were only leaves. There was no fruit. So Jesus said to it, he said, no longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. Seeing this, the disciples were amazed, and they said, How did the fig tree wither all at once? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but you'll even say to the mountain, Be taken up, cast into the sea, and it'll happen. In all these things you ask in prayer, believe you have received it. Now, interesting about this, that I, I really feel that I need to give some symbolism as I go for some reason tonight. So I'm just going to stop and give you... Uh, some parenthetical type of things but anyway so in this case it's interesting that in the bible that mountains always speak of kingdoms like governments okay so the fig tree speaks of israel but in the bible when you talk when you know it figuratively speaks maybe in psalms or you read it in somewhere like isaiah or whatever and it talks about the mountains or it talks about the hills it's talking about governments the bigger the mountain the bigger the government the smaller the hill, the smaller the government. And so that's interesting when you read this. Also, regarding the fig tree, another time, Jesus in Luke chapter 13, verse 6, a man had a fig tree, which he planted in his vineyard. So who do you think planted this fig tree? Would you not agree Jesus is talking about God the Father here? It's talking about the nation of Israel. Y'all following me? And the father, he came looking for fruit on the fig tree, and he didn't find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, behold, for three years. How long did Jesus minister in Israel? Three years. He said, I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. He said, cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said to him, let it alone, sir, for just one more year until I dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, I'll cut it down. And I believe that there was a period there after Jesus' ministry that the early church ministered and God gave like an additional around 40, almost 40 years before AD 70 happened and the destruction. But God gave them space to repent. But the fig tree is speaking of Israel. 
In Romans chapter 11, verse 11, talking about Israel now as an olive tree. And it's important, those that are watching this or listening to this, I really encourage you to read Romans 9, 10, and 11. I can't do it tonight. There's too many other things to read. But to understand Romans 11 really well, you need to understand Romans 9 and 10 first. Okay? But anyway, let me start with Romans 11, verse 11. I say them, talking about the Jews, they did not stumble as to fall, did they? May it never be. By their transgression of rejecting Jesus, okay, rejecting the gospel, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? But I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles in as much then as... Um, I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy, my fellow countrymen, and save some of them. For in their, if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? You know what that's referring to? When Jesus, listen, when Jesus comes, it has to do with the resurrection of the dead. You understand that? Do you understand what the rapture is? The rapture is not just a catching away alone, but it is literally the resurrection of the dead. That's what's going on. Those that are alive and remain, you will be changed. Your body will turn instantly into a glorified body. But you see people coming out of the grave and being given glorified bodies. It is a literal resurrection from the dead. And so he's saying here that right now the gospel has gone out and brought salvation. But in the end, when all things are completed and the Lord fulfills what he's going to do with the nation of Israel. And Israel accepts the Lord, etc. He said it's like life from the dead. It's like a resurrection. So if the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also if the root is holy, the branches are. So you remember me holding up that menorah? The root system is the covenant with Abraham. He said if the roots were holy, the branches also. But if some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive branch were grafted in among them and partaking with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember this. That is not you who supports the root but rather the root supports you. You will say then branches were broken off so I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief. But you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Behold then the kindness and the severity of God to those who fail severity, but to you God's kindness if you continue in his kindness. Otherwise you will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, but they will be grafted in. So in other words, if the, if the unbelieving Jew turns and accepts the gospel, then they will be brought back in and grafted in again. For if you who were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted in contrary to the nature of the cultivated olive tree, how much more, more so will these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? So in other words, they're going to fit back in really well. All right. So we see here Israel as a vine, as an olive tree, and as a fig tree. And so primarily what I'm dealing with tonight 
in Daniel's writings is we're looking at Israel more from the fig tree perspective. Because Daniel, it was a mystery to him that there would be this 2,000-year uh, church period where the, you know, the unbelieving Jews are broken off branches and, and the Gentiles are brought in and this, this whole concept of a one new man. It was a mystery that Daniel did not see. So let's look at this tonight. We're going to start with Daniel chapter 7 verse 1 and we're going to go through 7 and 8 and then we're going to look at the latter part of 9 and look at the 70 weeks. And I'm going to do my best to explain this. I'm reading this out of the Amplified Classic. Um, I really like this version in this particular uh, situation here. They do a good job. So in Daniel chapter 7 verse 1, I'm just going to read it. We can explain it as we go. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions in his head. He was lying upon his bed. And then he wrote down the dream and told the gist of the matter. And Daniel said, I saw in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heavens. Now, Revelation references these four winds. So again, I'm going to stop and give biblical symbolism some. It's important to understand numbers. Number one has to do with God. Two is Jesus. Three, the Holy Spirit and resurrection. Four is the earth. So the four winds, the number four always speaks of the earth. And it's a stirring. And it says here, I saw how the four winds, there was like a stirring. And um, it's political and social agitations were stirring up the great sea. And in the Bible, the great sea always speaks of the nations. You see that same thing in Revelation. It says that the woman and the beast and all that, she sits upon the sea. She sits upon the mass of humanity. And also that the uh, Antichrist comes up out of the sea. In other words, he's a human being. He comes out from among the mass of humanity, okay? And he said, I saw these four great beasts come up out of the sea in succession. And different from the other, the first one, which was the Babylonian Empire under Nebuchadnezzar, was like a lion with eagle's wings. Remember that? And it was the same thing with the statue of, with the head of gold. And he said, I look until the wings were plucked and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet as a man and a man's heart was given to it i believe as i mentioned last week that that was the humbling that nebuchadnezzar went through how many of you guys have read daniel you remember how daniel got uh, he saw how nebuchadnezzar got lifted up with pride and god made him like hunch over on all fours like a beast of the field and I mean, the guy grew claws and feathers. What in the world? Is... Anyway, God knows how to humble a man. Amen. And so the guy is out in the field. If I, if I remember right, I mean, he was eating grass. I mean, he was in a bad place. And eventually, though, God restored him to his right mind. And God gave him a heart after him. And I believe when we get on the other side of this life that you will probably see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven because of what God did in his life at this time. God broke that arrogance and gave him a heart for God. All right, and then the second beast after Babylon, and beast is like an animal here, okay? The next beast that came up out of the sea was, it represents the Medo-Persian Empire, and it was like a bear, raised up on one side with three ribs in its mouth the raising up on one side persia greater than the medes the three ribs lydia babylon and egypt and it was told arise and devour much flesh 
After this I looked and behold another. This is the Grecian Empire under Alexander the Great was like a leopard which had four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast also had four heads. Well, that's interesting because Daniel, did you guys know that Daniel was so accurate that there are critics that say that the book of Daniel was tampered with after a fact because he was too accurate. But let me tell you why we know that that's not true. You know how the Dead Sea Scrolls were found and it, it just proved the validity of the Word of God? Well, in the same way, there's something called the Septuagint, which was written about 300 years before Jesus was on the earth. And during that time, what happened was the book of Daniel was translated into Greek. And so we know that Daniel wasn't messed with because it was literally translated into the Septuagint. And you can look at it later. But anyway, here's the accuracy of Daniel. He saw these successive kingdoms exactly the way it happened. It played out in history exactly as Daniel saw it. And it's interesting that this leopard had four heads. Because Alexander the Great conquered the world in a quick amount of time. He was quite young, and after he kind of conquered everywhere that he could conquer, it, history records that he sat on the bank of the Indus River, and he wept because there was no more land to conquer. He died at a young age at 33 from a fever. Um, it was actually mysterious. Nobody really knows for sure. Some people said he was poisoned. Others said he was assassinated, etc., etc. But he died young. But here's the interesting thing. The four heads. After Alexander died at a young age, the kingdom of Greece was given to his four generals. That's the four heads of the leopard. And so Lysimachus was one of his generals, and he was given the area. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? The old Soviet Union area, like that Eastern Europe up into the Russia area, that area, okay? It was uh, Thrace and Bithynia, but Lysicamus was given them. And then the other general, Cassandra, was given Western Europe, Macedonia and Greece, that area that we call Europe today. There was his other general, the third general, Seleucus, which was given Syria and Babylon in the Middle East. Now, this is significant to know because you guys know the story of Hanukkah and the Maccabees. So it was the Seleucid Empire that Antiochus came up in, which we'll look at tonight. It was that Middle East. That was where that story of Hanukkah took place. But the Middle East was given to his general Seleucus. And then down far south in Egypt, in the area down there of like Africa, Lydia, and all those areas down in there, Libya, was um, given to Ptolemy. And so... You have, um, during the Bible times where we look at the story, rather, of Hanukkah, sorry, during that time, there was a lot of war between Seleucus and Ptolemy empires. They were fighting for dominance, and Israel was, unfortunately, in the path of, of uh, you know, the leader going down south to attack, and he kind of took it out on the nation of Israel, which, of course, led into the Hanukkah story. But anyway, isn't that amazing that Daniel saw this before it happened? And so, after this, he said, I looked in this Grecian empire, the leopard came, had four heads, 
and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw uh, in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast. This represents the Roman Empire, okay? It was terrible, powerful, dreadful, exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled what was left under its feet. It was different from the other beasts that came before it. It had ten horns symbolizing ten kings. And I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, which was three of the first were plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and mouth speaking great things. So see, this is interesting to me because Daniel saw he did not see, I know I keep saying this, he did not see the church age. He saw from Rome straight into the ten horns, which is the Antichrist kingdom, the last day Rome, okay? So Daniel never saw that, that it broke in the middle, like there was any type of a pause. He never saw that. It went straight from that Roman empire of Jesus' day, Rome, it went straight into Daniel saw the end time where the Antichrist had, uh, he was a beast with 10 horns, you see. He saw that. And that's revealed in the book of Revelation. So what's going to happen in a nutshell is in these last days, because this will make more sense maybe if I explain this. In the last days that we're living, you're going to see progressively the world coming together, what's called globalization you're going to see more and more of a one-world government emerging. And eventually, the economies of the earth are going to be so unstable, which they already are, that there's going to be like a one-world currency. And we know that because the Bible says all over the entire world, you're going to have to take a mark or you can't buy or sell. So there's going to be some kind of a unification of the banking system, the economics of the world. And so it's going to unify. But here's what's going to happen. The Bible predicts in Daniel's writings that I'm reading right now and in the book of Revelation that the Antichrist will emerge. He's going to be out of those ten horns there. Remember, there was a horn that rose up that had eyes of a man speaking great things. That's the Antichrist. He's going to emerge. Remember, horns speak of power. There's going to be three horns that try to buck up against him, and he's going to conquer them militarily or maybe some kind of a financial sanctioning that break their power. But anyway, he's going to conquer them. And this is the Antichrist, all right? Now, he's going to have 10 land masses. However, this is split. The Bible does not say, but there's going to be 10 areas of the world that are going to come under his authority. How is he going to divide it? Is it similar to what we know today, the Far East, the Middle East, up into like uh, Russia area and Western Europe? And how is he going to split it up? I don't know. But there's going to be 10 major portions of land that are going to have a ruler over it, a human physical ruler, but also a demonic principality over him. And that landmass, 10 of them, will be subject to the Antichrist. But through those 10 land masses, those 10 kingdoms, he will rule the whole world. There's not going to be anywhere that is not under his authority. Does that make sense? So that is the 10 toes that Daniel saw in his vision. You remember that? He saw legs of iron 
which was the old Roman Empire. And then he never saw the break there. And you go right into the ten toes. But the interesting thing is the ten toes were mixed iron and clay because you're going to have some kingdoms that will be like iron where they have like a strong dictator that ruled them with a rod of iron. But you're going to have others that are like clay because they're going to be democratic like we see in America. Does that make sense? All right. So this is what Daniel saw. And again, the same thing that he goes straight from Rome, this, this crazy looking beast that was so fierce, he sees it and it literally goes right into the 10 horns. There was no break in it. So he saw the Roman empire that we read about in Jesus's day and it like flowed naturally right into the end time antichrist Roman empire with 10 horns. So the ancient of days, then Daniel is, is continuing on in verse nine. He said, he said, I kept looking until thrones were in place for the assessors with the judge and the ancient of days, God, the eternal father took his seat, whose garments was white as snow and his hair uh, on his head was like pure wool. His throne was like a fiery flame. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire came forth from before him. Thousands upon thousands ministered unto him. 10,000 times 10,000 rose up and stood before him. The judge was seated. The court was in session. The books were open. What books are we talking about here? I believe it's, it's prophecy. You see, what did Jesus say? Everything that was written must be fulfilled. Everything. So these prophecies, like the scroll of Isaiah the scroll of Ezekiel, the scroll of Jeremiah, things that have been prophesied, some of it has not actually happened yet. It has to happen. All the prophecy will take place. Some of it obviously has already happened, but there will be things that must come. And the enemy will be resisting some of this. But look at this. The judge took his seat and court was in session. The books were open and I looked then because the sound of the great words which the horn was speaking. Who's the horn here? The Antichrist. Arrogant, blasphemous, going against God, probably speaking all kinds of blasphemy and hatred toward God. Um, he's wanting to go against God and God's plan. You understand, what is Satan trying to do? When you look at the world right now and you look at a map sometime, some of you are watching this or you're listening to this and it's already recorded. You can pause it and Google it. Look at a world map and try to find Israel in the map. It's going to look like a little bitty speck, but yet the entire earth seems to constantly be stirred up regarding the nation of Israel. What is it that makes the United Nations continually talk about Israel? Don't they have something else better to talk about? Why is there so much rage and so much stirring up against Israel? You know why? Because the devil knows that the Messiah is coming to the land of Israel, specifically to Jerusalem. The devil knows that these books are going to be open before the Almighty 
in those books say things like this. Jesus will come and his feet will touch the Mount of Olives. And he will go in to Jerusalem and reign on the throne of his father David. And when that happens, the devil knows that he's going to be bound down into a pit. And then after that, his doom will be the lake of fire. So what's the devil trying to do? He's trying to do everything he can to destroy Israel and stop prophecy from happening. He wants to stop the coming of the Messiah to that land. Well, guess what? He's not going to be able to do it. And you see right here, Daniel had some kind of a glimpse at the court system in heaven here. And he's seeing how the Antichrist is boasting great things. And and you can read here later, I'll show you where the Antichrist is trying to change times and seasons. And we know that the devil's trying to do everything he can to stop the coming of the Messiah, to stop prophecy from happening. But yet, here's what actually happens. The judge sits on his seat. He looks at the book. And the Bible says in verse 12, verse 11 let me go back a little bit i looked in because the sound of the great words the horn was speaking i watched until the beast was slain and his body was destroyed and given over to be burned with fire that's anyway the great judgment and as for the rest of the beast that their power and dominion was taken away yet their lives were prolonged for the duration of their lives was fixed for a season and a time See, one thing I didn't really mention, if you go back and look at the, the picture at the front of this with the statue and you see the rock that was coming down like a, some kind of a meteor coming down to the earth. Well, see, the Bible says that there's going to be this stone that's cut out of the mountain, so to speak, and it's going to be cast down and it's going to hit. Where is it going to hit? It doesn't hit the head of gold. But that stone that's cut out and comes down to the earth like a meteor, it's going to hit the ten toes. But the entire thing's going to crumble. You know what that is? That stone that the builders rejected, so to speak, is Jesus is coming. He's not coming. He didn't come, rather, back in the days of Nebuchadnezzar. He's coming at the ten toes, the end of days. But when he comes... He's going to strike the nations. And the Bible says all the kingdoms of this earth will collapse before him and become the kingdoms of our Lord in Christ. He's coming to take over. And that's why you see him like a stone coming and striking that image in the toes because it's the end times. But the entire image crumbled. And so then Daniel goes on. Is all this making sense tonight? So Daniel goes on in verse 13. He said, I saw, again, visions in the night, and behold, on the clouds of the heavens came one like a son of man. How many times did Jesus call himself the son of man? And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and there was given him, the Messiah, dominion and glory and kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. That's the coming of Jesus to reign. See, people don't really realize that when Gabriel came to Mary, it was quite a prophecy, and he said that, you know, you will conceive, and, and you know, but he said this. He said to her that he will sit on the throne of his father David. These prophecies must be fulfilled. 
and the vision interpreted. So in verse 15, as for me, Daniel, my spirit was grieved and anxious within me, and the visions in my head alarmed me and agitated me, and I came near to one of those who stood there and asked him the truth of all this, and he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. And these four great beasts are four kings who will rise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High God shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. Then I wished to know the truth about the fourth beast. See, that troubled him. If you were Daniel and you had this vision, you saw an, you know, a lion and you saw a bear and a leopard. But when you saw that crazy beast that you didn't know what it was, that was so fierce and had teeth of iron, that, that really bothered him. He said, what is that thing right there, you know? It was different from all the others, exceedingly terrible, shocking. His teeth were like iron, his nails like bronze, which devoured and broke and crushed and trampled what was left under its feet. Let me stop here for a moment. Biblical symbolism is so important to understand some of the things. Remember the law of first reference. You go back to the first five books of the Bible that God laid a foundation so in that you see that bronze in the bible speaks of judgment you see that gold speaks of like from heaven it's heavenly you see that silver speaks of redemption like you know you buy with silver being redeemed christ redeemed us by his blood we've been redeemed but silver speaks of redemption but you see that iron speaks of war so just keep that in mind as you read their symbolism and then he said, look at this. He said, so this beast came that was all fierce and it trampled everything. It had, you know, teeth of iron, nails of bronze. But then there's no pause. Daniel goes straight from that into the ten horns. So he goes straight from the old Roman Empire to the last day Antichrist Roman Empire. And he said, Daniel said, well, what about that beast and what about his ten horns? representing the kings that were on his head and the other horn which was the antichrist remember the antichrist came up from those which came up later before the three that fell and the horn who had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things which looked greater than the others and as i look this horn talking about the antichrist made war with the saints and prevailed them over them so what's going to happen here is that daniel saw to kind of explain this as we go okay daniel saw this you remember me telling you that during the tribulation time here's what's going to happen eventually the church the true born again spirit filled those that are on fire those that are living the life i don't believe everybody that goes to church is going to make the rapture but those that have made themselves ready like a bride that's made herself ready they're going to be raptured out okay and then after that at some point we don't know exactly when the antichrist is going to sign a peace treaty with israel when the antichrist signs that peace treaty with israel and you have like their government the knesset you have the prime minister the president and they sign that with the antichrist they don't israel doesn't realize what they're doing but they're basically making a pact with the devil here you understand but as soon as they do that they sign that peace treaty that's going to begin the seven-year tribulation the days of jacob's trouble what Daniel sees here, he said that this horn made war with the saints. But here's what's going to happen. The first three and a half years of this peace treaty are going to seem pretty good for Israel. Not, 
the Christians. They're going to be hunted down and killed. But the first three and a half years, Israel is going to seem like things are peaceful and good. But then the Antichrist is going to go and sit in the temple and declare himself to be God and demand their worship. And when Israel refuses to worship him in his image, he's going to release his military to slaughter the Jews, okay? So the ancient of days came because it seemed like the war was, the horn was waging war over the saints. He's talking about Israel here and prevailing over them until the ancient of days came and judgment was given to the saints of the most high God and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom thus the angel said the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom of the earth talking about Rome which shall be different from the others it will devour the whole earth tread it down and break it into pieces and crush it and as the ten horns that's the last day Rome with the antichrist over it out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise and another speaking of the antichrist after them he will be different from the former ones and he will subdue the, the all of them really but the three kings that try to buck him he'll subdue them and he will speak words against the most high god and shall wear out the saints of the most high and look at this he will try to change the times and the law and the seasons like the feast days and the sabbath and and different things that the Jews are trying to do. He's going to try to get things out of sync. And try to stop it and change times and seasons. And the saints shall be given into his hand for a time. Look at this. Here's the, three, the last three and a half years. For a time. That's one year. Two times. Totaling three and a half a time. Three and a half years. The last three and a half years of the tribulation. The Antichrist will try to slaughter the Jews. And he will be successful in killing two-thirds. You guys realize that by the end of the tribulation time, you have the massacre of the Jews here, specifically we're talking about. But you read in the book of Revelation that so many people dying, and then again, so many people dying, you realize that probably around three-fourths of humanity is going to be killed during the tribulation time. And that's why Jesus said that unless these days were cut short, no flesh would survive. All right. But it says here in verse 26, the Antichrist is trying to slaughter the Jews for those three and a half years. Two-thirds of them end up being killed. But verse 26, but the judgment shall be set in the court of the Most High, and they shall take away his dominion, the Antichrist, to consume it and to destroy it suddenly in the end in the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the most high talking about when Jesus comes his kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom all the dominion shall serve and obey him here is the end of the matter as for me Daniel my waking thoughts trouble me and alarm me much and my cheerfulness of countenance was changed in other words he said I was gloomy I was sad. This, he was saying this weighed on me heavily. But I kept the matter of interpreting the angel's information in my heart and my mind. Daniel saw all of it, guys. He saw from the day he was living all of the successive kingdoms. He didn't see the church age, but he saw the Antichrist emerge, the end time, uh, you know, revised Rome. He saw all of it. He saw the coming of Jesus to the earth. Isn't this amazing? 
And then Daniel chapter 8. In the third year of the reign of Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after the one that appeared to me at the first. So he's seeing now a totally different vision. In this one, he's going to see a ram and a he-goat. So it's a totally different vision. But remember, I showed you the statue, the four beasts, and then I showed you the ram and the he-goat, how they all fit in, okay? So Daniel sees this other vision. And it seemed that I was in Shushan, the, the palace or fortress, uh, the capital of Persia which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision that I was at the river of Uli, and I lifted up my eyes and saw, and behold, there stood before me on the river a ram, which had two horns, which represented the Medes and Persians, Darius the Mede and Cyrus. And the two horns were high, but the one horn, Persia, was higher than the other. And the higher one came up last. And I looked and I saw the ram, the Medo-Persian era, pushing and charging westward and pushing northward and southward. And no beast could stand before him, neither could anyone rescue from his power. But he did according to all his own will and pleasure and magnified himself. As I was considering this, behold, a he-goat, the king of Greece, this is Alexander the Great, came from the west across the whole face of the earth without touching the ground. He was moving so fast that his feet were not even on the ground. And the goat had this conspicuous, remarkable horn between his eyes, which symbolized Alexander the Great. And he came to the ram that had two horns, which I'd seen standing by the, the riverbank, and ran at him in the heat of his power. In my vision, I saw him come close to the ram, and he was moved with anger against him. And he, speaking of the goat, Alexander the Great, struck the ram with the two horns and there was no power in the ram to stand before him and the goat threw him to the ground and trampled on him and there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power and the he goat alexander the great magnified himself exceedingly and he was young and strong and, and the great horn he was suddenly broken and instead of him there came up four notable horns now once again is this not amazing to anybody else? I mean, think about it. Daniel saw that Alexander the Great would be broken. That conspicuous large horn in the forehead this, was broken. And out came four littler horns that represent the four uh, generals. Isn't that something? And you know as well as I do, Daniel probably only understood it in part. See, prophecy we see through a glass dimly. Daniel understood some of it, but you know as well as I do, Daniel was just shaking his head at times and he was trying to understand it. But as time went, it became more clear, you see. All right, then the little horn. Now, I need to stop here for a moment because this is not the same little horn as before. So let me give you kind of an example of what I'm talking about here. Do you remember when we studied Revelation 2 and 3 and we saw the seven churches of Asia? All of them were a literal church and they had a literal pastor and all that. But when you studied all of it, you also saw that there was kind of underlying messages. There was underlying revelation that it, it is a prophetic timeline of the church age, you see. It's like there's layers of revelation and understanding in it, okay? 
There was also a really interesting scripture in Ezekiel where Ezekiel is prophesying against the prince and the king of Tyre. And just as was prophesied about the great destruction of Tyre, it happened exactly as the Bible predicted it. To detail, Alexander the Great was the one that happened to carry it out, but the Bible said it would happen. But here's what's interesting. While Ezekiel is, is prophesying about the destruction of Tyre, all of a sudden, Ezekiel starts making these comments in there. And he says, Behold, you were so full of beauty. Tabrets and pipes were formed in you. You walked among the fiery stones. You were in Eden, the garden of God. And all of a sudden, the reader realizes he's no longer talking about the king of Tyre. He's talking about Lucifer. And as you read this, you realize that there's a whole other layer of revelation here that the Holy Spirit will help you understand that God was using Ezekiel as a prophet and he was talking about the prince and the king of Tyre and it was a literal nation here. But at the same time, he's also talking figuratively, figuratively about Lucifer. Well, in the same way, this is really interesting to me, but Daniel sees this little horn here, which is actually a, a Greek king named Antiochus Epiphanes, and this guy represents the Antichrist. He's a picture and type of the future Antichrist, but he lived back in the days of the Maccabees, the Hanukkah story. Ezekiel, I mean, uh, Daniel saw this, but it's like there's layers of revelation in this. Does this make sense? So as I read this, keep that in mind that Daniel, this is being revealed to Daniel from heaven, but it's like there's layers of revelation in this. All right. So here we go. Out of the littleness. So we just read that this shaggy he goat comes. He has this big conspicuous horn that is broken. Alexander dies young four horns replace it that's his generals so you go straight from those four horns now you remember how the the generals were in europe and they were up in the old soviet union empire area seleucius was in the middle east ptolemy down in egypt in the southern area he said that it was broken and instead of him there camped these four notable horns the four winds of heaven okay now look at this out of the littleness and small beginnings of one of them so the one in the middle east that seleucius empire out of that area the middle east there came forth one and it spoke of this guy antiochus epiphanes a horn whose impious presumption and pride grew exceedingly great toward the south and toward the east and toward the ornament speaking of israel so this guy in history bears this out antiochus epiphanes basically came to power in the middle eastern uh, grecian empire he was the ruler but he wanted great power so the other superpower was down in egypt with that 
Ptolemy Empire. He kept going down to wage war there because he wanted to conquer there. And he was just, you know, bent on world domination here. But he also, the Bible says here, and toward the ornament, the land of Israel. He was attacking that as well. And in my vision, this horn, speaking of Antiochus Epiphanes, grew great even against the host of heaven, which was God's true people, the saints. And some of the host and the stars, speaking of the priest of that time, you guys know the Hanukkah story, so you know, think that way right now. He's speaking here about what happened in that story. You remember how God's, this was, uh, what, 167 years or so before Jesus, the, the, the priest and, and the people of God, the, the Greeks were trying to assimilate them. He grew great even against the host of heaven, God's true people, and some of the hosts and the stars, speaking of the priest, that Hasmonean, the Maccabean, it was cast down to the ground and trampled on. Yes, this horn magnified itself, even matching itself against the prince of the host of heaven. And from him, the continual burnt offering was taken away. You guys remember, because you've been here long enough to know, every evening, every morning, there was a continual sacrifice that was offered. It was saying that this stopped because of this guy. It was taken away, and God's sanctuary was cast down and profaned. Daniel saw this way before it happened, but you know the Hanukkah story that Antiochus Epiphanes came in and to defile the altar, he sacrifices a pig on the altar to the Greek god Zeus. He sets up an idol in the Holy of Holies area and he takes some of the broth that's from the pig and he pours it over everything. He defiles the temple. It says God's sanctuary was cast down and profaned and the host, the chosen people, was given to the wicked horn together with the continual burnt offering because of the transgression of God's people, their abounding irreverence, ungodliness, and lack of piety. So Israel was in a backslidden condition, and God allowed this. And righteousness and truth were cast down to the ground. And it, the wicked horn, talking about Antiochus, accomplished this by divine permission, and it prospered. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is this vision concerning the continual offering and the transgression that makes desolate? And the giving over of the sanctuary and the host, talking about the priesthood, to be trampled underfoot. And he said unto me for 2,300 evenings and mornings, Then the sanctuary shall be cleansed and restored. And you guys remember the story of Hanukkah, how... The Maccabees were some warrior priests that emerged and they basically began to wage war against Antiochus and his military. It was like guerrilla warfare and it happened for years, but eventually they prevailed. And they go in and they take the sanctuary. They had to rebuild the altar. They had to reconsecrate the sanctuary and all of that. But let me tell you something. It's important that God's people learn the Hanukkah story because it foreshadows the rise of the Antichrist and the end of times because there's going to be another horn one day that you just read about that's going to be the Antichrist. And what's he going to do? He is going to defile the temple again by setting himself in it as God. And just like Antiochus Epiphanes, he's going to put an, a statue there that he demands to be worshipped. 
it's going to be the same thing. And just like Antiochus, he was trying to force all the Jews to give up anything to do with, with the Torah, with going to, to, to synagogue, which having anything to do with keeping the Sabbath, anything that you would consider to be Jewish and in the Bible at that time. He wanted to do away with all of that, and they were all going to assimilate and become little Greeks that worship Greek gods. And if they didn't do it, they were going to be killed. And unfortunately, there were a lot of Jewish people that were willing to assimilate. And that's probably what God angered God and, and why God permitted this. But when Antiochus came in and brought this, this warfare against Israel and defiled the temple, it went on for a while. But eventually, the Maccabees came and God used them to hammer back um, that military, the Grecian army, which is a supernatural victory. They retook the temple. But without the Hanukkah story, there would not be a Christmas story. Amen? So it's important that you know that story. So the ram's identity in verse 20, the ram which you saw with the two horns is the Medes and Persians. And then the shaggy he-goat, he said the rough and shaggy he-goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn between his eyes talked about Alexander the Great. As for the horn which was shattered, that was Alexander's death. It was replaced with four others as the four kingdoms that will rise out of this nation, but not having Alexander's power. See, Alexander ruled everything, but the, the, the four generals only governed certain areas. In the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgression, the apostate Jews, has reached the fullness of the wickedness, taxing the limits of God's mercy, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark trickery. Okay, this is what I was talking about. Daniel sees like the layers of revelation. He sees Antiochus Epiphanes, but all of a sudden, he's not talking about him anymore. Now he's talking about the Antichrist. Does that make sense? Just like I said earlier, Ezekiel was talking about the king of Tyre, but it slipped into speaking of Lucifer. It's like, anyway, you'll see it right here. He said that Alexander's power, verse uh, 22, was broken and the latter end of their kingdom when the transgression of the apostate Jews reached the fullness, taxing God's mercy. Look at this. A king of fierce countenance and understanding dark trickery and craftiness will stand up. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall corrupt and destroy astonishingly and shall prosper and do his own pleasure. And he shall corrupt and destroy the mighty men and the holy people. And through his policy, he shall cause trickery to prosper in the land. He shall magnify himself in his heart and mind and in their security, he will corrupt and destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes. He's going to be against Christ, the Antichrist. And he shall be broken, and that no human hand, and that by no human hand. And the vision of the evenings and the mornings, which has been told to you is true, but seal up the vision, for it has to do with and belongs to a distant future. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for several days. Afterward, I rose up and did the king's business, and I wondered at the vision, but there was no one who understood it or could make it understood. 
Isn't that something? Daniel saw all this. Isn't it amazing? And so let me kind of close tonight with this. I'm going to give you the last couple things about Jesus' triumphal entry and then the 70 weeks, and then we'll close with that. But Jesus, look at this, in Luke 19, 29, you guys are familiar with this story. When Jesus approached Bethpage and Bethany near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you, and when you enter it, you'll find that there's a colt there that's tied, which no one has ever set. Untie it and bring it to me. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say the Lord has needs of it or need of it. And those who were sent went their way and found it just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, the owner said, hey, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. Now, let me just stop here for a moment. This is of great significance that you're going to see when I talk about the 70 weeks of Daniel. You're going to see some things you have never seen before that is absolutely amazing. Don't you remember reading how Jesus in his ministry kept avoiding being made a king? You remember they, they said, hey, Jesus slipped through the crowd because what? They were going to try to make a king of him and he just kind of slipped through the crowd and disappeared. Jesus even told people he'd heal people and say, hey, don't tell anybody about it. You know, of course, they'd go off and tell it to everybody. You know? But he always tried to shrink back from it until this day. But on this specific day, Jesus does something completely different in that he's going to ride a colt into Jerusalem and have all of them worship him as the great king entering the city. Why is this day different than every other day in his ministry? I'm going to show you. All right, and they said the Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus, and Jesus said on it as he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road as soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives. The whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to the highest. Now, Psalm 118, what you need to understand and what I need to understand is that the reason why the Pharisees got so angry about this is because by those people praising him that way, they were basically acknowledging that he was the coming Messiah. And so the Pharisees got angry. Here's the thing. God sent his true Messiah exactly, which I'm going to show you here in just a moment, when Daniel said he would come. But the leaders of Israel, the Pharisees, Sadducees, etc., they didn't accept the Messiah because it wasn't the Messiah they wanted. He didn't fit their criteria, their personal desires. They didn't like the Messiah that God sent, basically. So they rejected him and got others to reject him. But the people here, when Jesus was coming in, they were shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. Quoting Psalm 18, declaring basically, here comes the Messiah, the son of David, into Jerusalem. And the Pharisees in the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus said, I tell you, 
if these become silent, the stones will cry out. And when he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Why is Jesus weeping on such a glorious day? Because Jesus is saying here, if you had known in this day, what is special about this day? I'm going to show you. Even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been ridden from your eyes. You do, in other words, he's saying you don't discern the day. For the days will come when the, your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will level you to the ground and your children within you. And not leaving you one stone upon the other because you did not recognize the day of your visitation. Jesus wept over Jerusalem and over the people. Why? Because they didn't discern. Let me tell you something. There's, there's some extreme views. I know that there's some goofy people here and there. It's very rare that they're going to predict the exact day, moment, hour that Christ is going to come and all that. I realize they're off and all that. But let me tell you something. The great rebuke is that you don't discern properly prophecy and discern the times that you live in. How many knows that we're in the last days? In the Bible, the Lord expected that these Pharisees and Sadducees who were such students of the word and students of the book of Daniel, he expected them that they should know the day the Messiah would come in like that. But they didn't discern it. And because of that, they were, you know, great uh, destruction came. So let me close with this revelation about Daniel's 70 weeks. So Daniel chapter 9, remember the first part of Daniel 9, Daniel was really praying for Israel. He saw that they were in captivity. 70 years were up. Jeremiah prophesied they should be up. Daniel began to really intercede for Israel. And we know the story. If you read, continue to read on, you know that there was an angel that had been sent, but the prince of Persia, it was like a satanic fallen angel. There was warfare in the heavens. But anyway, the answers came to Daniel, and here's what it says in verse 23. The angel came and said to Daniel, at the beginning of your prayers, the word, the given, giving an answer, went forth. And I've come to tell you that you're greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. This is kind of deep, but just follow me because it's important. Seventy weeks, which is 490 years, are decreed upon your people. Whose people? Israel. And upon your holy city, which is Jerusalem. To finish and put an end to the transgression. Have we seen that yet? Of course not. That's not going to come until Jesus is in Jerusalem reigning. To seal up and make full the measure of sin, to purge away, to make expi expiation and reconciliation for sin, to bring in everlasting righteousness, permanent moral and spiritual rectitude in every area. So he's seeing here Jesus actually coming into Jerusalem to reign on the throne of his father David and seeing the fulfillment, okay? And the angel tells Daniel, there are 70 weeks that are declared for your people for this to happen where Jesus will reign from Jerusalem. 70 weeks, okay? 
Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem until the coming of the anointed one, a prince shall be seven weeks of years and 62 weeks of years. And it shall be built again with the city, square in moat, but in troubled trouble times. So you have seven and 62 weeks, so 69. It's interesting. And he says, and he shall enter into a strong, or let me, sorry, verse 26. And after the 62 weeks of years, shall the anointed one, who's the anointed one? This is speaking to Jesus. He will be cut off or killed and shall have nothing and no one belonging to and defending him. And the people of the other prince who will come and destroy the city, and this speaks of Titus who came in and destroyed the city and destroyed the temple in 70 AD. It shall, it, it's, its end shall come in like a flood, and even to the end, there shall be war and desolations are decreed. Look at this though, verse 27. So you see here that Daniel sees 69 weeks, and then he sees Jesus' death, and then he sees the destruction of the temple. Isn't that something? Then verse 27, and he shall enter into a strong and firm covenant with many for one week. This is the Antichrist. So see, Daniel, once again, Daniel sees up until the time of Jesus, the destruction of the temple, the diaspora, and it's like pushing pause. He doesn't see the church age, but then you unpause it in the end and he sees the last seven years, the days of Jacob's trouble. He sees the Antichrist making a covenant with Israel, and he sees a seven-year period of the days of Jacob's trouble. I know this is kind of deep, but just follow me, and I'll do my best to explain. So, and in the midst of this week, this seven-year period, he shall cause, so in the middle of it, remember, the Antichrist sits in the temple halfway through the tribulation, he shall cause the sacrifice and the offering to cease for the remaining three and a half years. Who does that sound like? Just like Antiochus Epiphanes, doesn't it? He stops the function of the temple. But how many knows there's got to be a temple? There's got to be offerings going on for this to happen. So see, up until this point, we see Israel became a nation in 48, which was a huge fulfilling a prophecy then we see them take jerusalem in 67 another huge fulfillment of prophecy but you're going to see eventually that there's going to be a, a rebuilding of the temple and that right there might have to do with this uh peace treaty that they're able to do it and begin the offerings etc And upon the wing or pinnacle of abominations shall come one who makes desolate. So in other words, there on the temple area, the Antichrist is going to declare himself to be God. He's going to set up this image. He's going to demand to be worshipped. And because they won't worship him, this is a great abomination on the wing of the temple area. Great abomination. But they won't worship him because of that one who makes desolate he's going to release his military to literally make desolate jerusalem 
and slaughter many of the Jewish people, just like Antiochus Epiphanes did, until the full determined end is poured out on the desolator. So Daniel, once again, same thing. You see 69 weeks up until a certain point, which is 483 years, because every seven years is a, a week here. So he's saying 69 weeks of seven, 483 years from the time the decree was made until the Messiah would be cut off. And then it's like pushing pause on the DVD. Daniel doesn't see the church age. But then in the end, all of a sudden, it's like pushing unpause and you see the Antichrist signing a peace agreement with Israel in the last week, a seven-year period. So 483 plus 7, 490. So let me give you something, last couple things to close out with. If you have questions, ask me later. But here's the thing. There was a man named Sir Robert Anderson. He wrote a book in 1894 called The Coming Prince. And he did a great study. And in this, he deeply studied out from the, the time the decree was made until Jesus came. He wanted to study out what Daniel saw. And you have to understand, you have to take into consideration a few things. First off, a week is seven-year period prophetically here. So you see 490 years, right? Total. And you also have to take into account there's going to be leap years, so you have to take in, do some adding and subtracting, etc., to kind of understand it. But he saw here, that there would be 173,880 days. And as he studied this out, from the decree of King Artaxerxes on March the 14th, 445 BC, the day that the decree was made. And he studied out until the triumphal entry where Jesus rode the donkey into Jerusalem. <laughs> See, you remember me saying earlier what was so special about that day? Why was Jesus so angry at the Pharisees and Sadducees who should have known this? Because it was exactly 173,880 days from the time of March 14th, 445 BC, until Jesus rode in on that donkey on April the 6th, 32 AD, the day that Daniel predicted he would ride in. Isn't that something? So what was Daniel's margin of error? None. Daniel predicted the day. And so the point of that is this. If Jesus wasn't the Messiah, and I'm speaking to Israel, then there's not going to be one. Because Jesus came at the exact time that the Messiah was predicted to come. But Israel missed it. I just read to you these scriptures. Jesus had to come before the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. He did. If nothing else, if they couldn't figure out the day 
Because Jesus rode in on the donkey on the day. He avoided it every other day. They tried to make him a king, all that. No, it's not my time. But on that day, he said, this is the day I must ride in on this donkey. Because that was the day Daniel predicted that he would do it. The Pharisees should have known that. When you live your whole life studying like they did, that's all they pretty much did. They should have known that. They were looking during that time, they were looking for the coming Messiah. It's just that they didn't like the Messiah that was given them. Let me give you something just real quick. This is kind of a side note. Some Bible scholars figured this out. I think it's really neat. There's a mystery here of 490 years. A mystery. From Abraham... When Abraham was called from Abraham to the Exodus, you remember when Moses led out Israel, y'all look this way, hear me. From Abraham to the Exodus, when Moses led him out, was approximately 490 years. 75 years plus the 430. But here's how you get that. The Bible scholars subtracted 15 years that had to do with Ishmael. And it ends up being 490 years. It's pretty interesting. There's something to think about. And look at this. From the exodus of Moses taking Israel out of Egypt to the temple, there's 594 years plus 7, 601. So 601 years. But if you look at the years that they were servants to other nations, you remember reading about this in Judges where different nations would come in and subdue them for a period of time. Remember that? When you add up all those years, there's 111 years that they were under servitude. When you subtract 111 from 601, what do you get? 490 years. It's interesting. And then from the temple to the decree of Artaxerxes that I just mentioned, again, you read about this, and it equals 560 years but you have to subtract 70 because they were in Babylonian captivity. And you end up getting, again, 490 years. Isn't that interesting? So God has given these 490-year increments. And then the angel appears to Daniel and says, Hey, from the time of Artaxerxes until Jesus reigns in Jerusalem will be a total of 490 years. But here's what you do. You figure up the 483 up until Jesus' death. And then you have the last seven years of the tribulation. You just have to subtract the church age. And you get 490 years again. So there's something really interesting about that. But if you look at the timeline, it, it kind of spells all that out for you. But if you look at that timeline here, from 446 time frame to 33 AD, this was the prophetic. When you look at this, remember seven years is a week. And remember that 360 days makes up a prophetic year. Because that was the Hebrew calendar. But when you do all that, Sir Robert Anderson, he figured up the exact day. But anyway, you can see here that those that the angel told uh, Daniel, he said there would be seven weeks. So there was like 49 years. That has to do with, do you remember when Ezra and Nehemiah went back and they began to rebuild and all that? 
Well, later on, then it says there's 62 weeks from that time till Jesus. And you have the Greek empire with the story of the Maccabees and you have the Roman empire. But after 483 years, Jesus dies, the temple's destroyed. And it's like pushing pause again because Daniel didn't see the church age. So you pause it and the gospel goes out to the nations for 2,000 years. But eventually, now close with this, eventually there is going to be a globalization of nations. There's going to be those 10 horns or 10 toes, however you want to look at it. And the Antichrist will emerge. There's many names of this man. Son of perdition, man of lawlessness. There's several. The Assyrian. There's a lot of different names he's given. We, we tend to know him as the Antichrist, which is not a bad thing, but there's, he has several other names in Scripture. But the devil is going to give this evil man his throne, and he's going to emerge. And you have to understand, and I'll show you this the next couple of weeks, that the church age is going to end and the rapture of the remnant bride will take place those that's made themselves ready the wise virgins with extra oil there's going to be a catching away and the emphasis then is going to be unpausing and it's going to go back to the nation of israel that's why from revelation 4 on you don't read anything about the church Everything becomes extremely Jewish. You see 144,000 Jews, etc., etc. The emphasis goes back on Israel. The seven-year period we call the tribulation is really the days of Jacob's trouble. And the Antichrist is going to rule over those ten land masses. And he's going to make a peace treaty with Israel. Jesus said, Jesus said, you didn't accept me when I came in my name. When I rode in on the donkey, you didn't accept me. But you will accept another who comes in his name to make a peace treaty with you. When they do that, it's going to open up a seven-year day. I mean, horrible time for Israel. It's going to look good at first. When they say peace and safety, sudden destruction comes. It's going to look good at first. They're going to think, yeah, you know, we, now we can have the temple. Now we can start the offerings again and they're going to they're going to think everything's great until the antichrist comes in halfway through it and sets himself up in the temple and puts his image there his idol that apparently can speak the bible says the false prophet's going to be doing such signs and wonders that literally like lightning coming down at his command in front of people and the Antichrist is going to declare himself to be God and demand that the Jews worship him. They won't. And then he's going to release desolation. Only a third of the Jews will survive. But here's where prophecy... So at the end of the tribulation time, the days of Jacob's trouble come to an end. Jesus is going to split the eastern sky. But see, the remaining Jews are going to be crying out in desperation and they're going to be crying out sin salvation what they what you and i understand is the hebrew word for send send us salvation is yeshua send us salvation they're going to be crying out god save us and jesus is going to come his feet are going to touch the mount of olives it'll split in two he's going to send his angels out to go gather the elect 
He's going to walk into Jerusalem. He's going to sit enthroned on the throne of his father David. The Jews that are remaining will come. They will look on him whom they've pierced. They will mourn. They will believe now because they see him there. They're going to believe that he is the Messiah. And on that day, what Paul prophesied, all of Israel shall be saved. Yeah. And prophecy will have been fulfilled for the nation of Israel. Isn't that awesome? So we're living in these last days, and I wanted to kind of give you the overview that Daniel saw. But hundreds of years before, Daniel saw not only up until Jesus, but Daniel saw with great accuracy what's going to happen in the last days regarding Israel, that 70th week. So you'll hear me reference that. There'll be, there was the 69 weeks that were fulfilled up until Christ, but the 70th week of Daniel is the tribulation, the seven-year period. You're going to hear me reference that, so I want you to know what that is. All right, so Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. We bless you. Lord, we just thank you so much for a seeing prophecy, the incredible accuracy that's there in prophecy. But we thank you that you've given us all these things in advance. We see that you're in charge of all things. Even the incredible accuracy of the 490 years, then another 490. It's amazing the, the level of, of accuracy in, in how much you are in control of all things. And Lord, we just thank you for your faithfulness. Let this be sealed in our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Just whenever you get everything ready, the recording's turned off. And let me say this too, if everybody can look this way. We're going to pray for people. And then we're going to feast together here tonight. If you have any questions, 